Good morning, South Hills Church. Thanks for being here, for choosing to worship with us today. Um, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Um, if you didn't bring your Bible, um, don't worry. We printed the passage for you on the handout on your way, you received on your way in here. And if you're watching online, um, those notes are available to you digitally as well. If you're not quite sure where Acts is in your Bible, it's in the New Testament, which is in the second half of your Bible. It's the fifth book of the, of the New Testament, so it's just after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where you will find the book of Acts. Now, before we begin, I just want to acknowledge that there are significant wounds and hurts in our congregation today. And um, I just want to, um, I know that it's been a burden on many people's hearts, and I'm, I'm grateful for those of you in the midst of that burden who have chosen to pray for our church. We're very, very grateful for your prayers and ask that you and invite you to continue to pray. I also recognize that there um, may be division among brothers and sisters in Christ, and that for some of you, it may have been difficult to even show up and worship with us today, but I want to commend you for your commitment to the church and your commitment to worship God. I know that for many, it may be uh, difficult right now to say, where do we stand and where do we stand together? And so right now in this moment, I just want to invite you to seek to stand on common ground. And what I want to invite you to seek in terms of standing on common ground is to stand together on that which people in this congregation for over a century have chosen to stand together on, and that is the Word of God and the mission of God for His church. So I just ask today that we would stand for God's Word, on His Word, and for His Word as we come together in this time. And so I want to invite you right now to please stand for the reading of God's Word today. And as we come into this time and we stand in God's presence to read His Word, I just want to open with a time of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, we humbly stand in Your presence today. We come into Your presence as broken people, each and every one of us in need and desperate need of your mercy and grace in our lives. And so, God, we humbly come before you this morning. We ask for your forgiveness and we ask for your healing. We humbly ask you, Lord, to allow us to be able to listen and respond to you and your word today. Lord, we ask that your word would transform us that you would make us into the people that you want us to be, the church that you want us to be. And God, as we come to this passage this morning that speaks to a mission that you have given to the church over 2,000 years ago and has not changed and will not change, God, we ask that you would help us to respond to your word, to be people who continue to stay on mission because that's what you have called us to do and what you have called us to be. And in the midst of tension, in the midst of struggle, Lord, we ask by your grace and by your mercy that you would allow us, as we seek healing, as we seek restoration, as we seek your face, that you would bring us closer to you, that you would help us to understand you, to see you clear, Lord, that you would help us to be the people again that you are calling us to be. God, we pray this together in your name. Amen. 
Acts chapter 1. Stand, please stand. We'll, we'll continue to stand. If, if you need to see, you can. But let's stay standing for God's word together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Let me read what it says. It says this. I've got to find it. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before them, their very eyes, and and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, you may have a seat. Today we are beginning the first of a four-week series on the mission and vision of South Hills Church, the mission that God has given us and the the vision that he's shaping for us as we move together in the future. And so just beginning in verse 6, we see really kind of a pivotal moment in the in the life of the church. Really, this is the the moment that marks the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of the church age. Jesus is ascending to heaven, and it's here that he has a final conversation with his disciples before they continue the work that he's called them to and be beginning the birth and the, the of the church. And the, and the church age, which we are still in today. And it's really the, he, this moment that's so pivotal because this is the final conversation that the disciples, Jesus' closest friends, have with Jesus. And it's in this moment that they ask a final question. And the question that they ask is important, and the answer that Jesus gives is important for us to understand as well because it helps us understand the mission of the church, that which Jesus is calling us forward to pursue and to follow. And so looking at verse 6 with me, just what it says here, it says this, then they gathered around him, that is his disciples gathered around Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So again, this is the last moment they have with Jesus before he ascends to heaven, and they ask him one last question. And this is the question they ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now you may be thinking to yourself, okay, really guys? This is the best you could do? This is, you know, the last question for Jesus, and this is the question that you came up with? I mean, couldn't you have asked Jesus about predestination? That would have been really helpful. Couldn't you have asked Jesus about the Trinity? I mean, that's been confusing for a long time. I mean, couldn't you have asked Jesus about dinosaurs? That would have been interesting too, right? I mean, lots of questions that we can think. If I have one last chance with Jesus, what's the question that I'm going to ask? But this is the question that they asked Jesus. The, the, the question is, well, why, is the, why are they asking this? Why are they asking, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, for them, this is a very important question. Because they're Jewish people and they're living under Roman rule. 
And so the question on their mind is, yes, the Messiah was to come and to establish his kingdom and throw off the oppressors. And so this is that moment, right? Jesus, where you're going to establish Israel, we're going to get our freedom back, our land back, and our power back as a country. You're going to throw off our oppressors. Is this that moment? That's what's on their mind. And the question is, well, is this a bad thing? No, this is not a bad thing. But the problem is, this isn't necessarily what God has in mind. This isn't God's plan. Now, they're thinking about the nation of Israel, but they're also thinking about themselves too. They're asking a question saying, is this the time where our nation is going to be restored, where the oppressors are going to be thrown off? But they're also thinking, okay, is this the moment that Jesus talked about when, you know, he establishes his rule and reign that he's going to need some help? You know, is this the moment where he's going to have to need some help? He's going to need the 12 judges to, to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And, you know, who better to help than us? You know, this is that moment, you know, establish, reestablish Israel, reestablish rulers. We are, you know, your best friends, Jesus. Of course, you can put us in these different thrones. We'll rule with you. We will judge. And so they're thinking nationally, but they're also thinking personally. The problem is, with what they're coming to Jesus with is they're coming to Jesus with their own personal agenda. They're coming to Jesus with their own personal agenda. It's not necessarily a bad agenda. It's just not God's agenda. They're thinking um, earthly and a political national reign. And God is thinking spiritual and a universal uh, expansion of his kingdom. See, they have one view. God has a different view. They're coming to Jesus with their agenda and um, it's important for us to hear that it's possible for us still to come to Jesus with our agenda, to say, God, this is what you need to do in the church. This is what the church needs to be about. This is what the church needs to do. This is how you can help build the kingdom, maybe a little bit of my kingdom too, but this is the plan. This is, should be the agenda instead of saying, God, what's your agenda? And the question is, well, what is God's agenda? And that's what we get to be, helps us see in the next couple of verses. It's important for us to recognize this. In verse 7, he says this. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their question, but he does add some clarity. He first of all says, hey, listen, I'm not here to tell you the dates and times of the kingdom. This is held in God's authority. Now, anyone who tells you that they have the date and the time, they're overstepping. Jesus says that's only God's, in God's authority. And so he's very clear. This, is, this isn't for, for you to know. And again, he's not chastising them. He's just clarifying things for them. He's saying, I'm not going to give you the dates and times, but I am going to give you something else. And what does he want to give them? He wants to give them power. And that's what we see in the next verse. He says this, but you will receive power. Again, I'm not giving you the dates and times, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse is key to understanding the whole book of Acts. This verse is critical for us to understand because it's in this verse that really the entire, the table of contents is set for the book of Acts. It helps us understand how the whole book of Acts um, flows and comes together, and it's just an important and critical verse. Now, um, what Jesus begins by, uh, sorry, going back to what the, what the author begins by helping us understand, Luke, he'll understand that you will receive power, and I want to talk about this for a moment, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this is important because he's talking about um, a power that they'll receive through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
This is, this is amazing. And when, I want to be clear. Jesus is not talking about some, you know, you know, mystical energy, you know, the force that will be with you now. Um, he's talking about a power that, that comes from the Holy Spirit who is the person, uh, a, a member of the, the, of the triune God. And, and this is true for anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God, his presence in you, and his power working through you. This is an incredible thing. So he's saying, this is the power that you receive. The power of the Holy Spirit will come on you. And what are we to do? You're to be my witnesses. So that is, you're to testify to who Jesus is. A witness is someone who says, I testify to who Jesus is, what he's done, and, um, and what, he's come to, what he can accomplish in your life. We are to witness, to be a testament, to testify to um, who Jesus is. Now, where are we to do that? He goes on to say, here's the scope of it. Now, you're to do it in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you were to be witnesses and we're to be, he's telling them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this is where it's helpful to see kind of a picture of what, uh, what, what is being talked about here. He says, again, it's a start in Jerusalem and then it's to be moving out. And this is, again, where we see the... Um, kind of the roadmap, the table of contents for the book of Acts. Because in, in um, Acts chapters uh, 1 through 7, we see um, the, the book of Acts really detailing the, the growth of the church in Jerusalem. That's what the first seven chapters in the book of Acts are about, the growth of the church. But as the church grew uh, for, uh, for two years, it grew and it thrived. Then at, at year two, the church experienced great persecution and pressure. And because of the persecution and pressure, the church then scattered. It went from Jerusalem and it scattered out to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And, and, it's, and it's through that pressure, through that persecution that it then expanded. And that's what we see um, detailed um, through Acts chapters 8 through 12. This expansion of the gospel, the expansion of the church to regions that they never expected it to go. And then we see in Acts chapters 13 through 28, the expansion of the apostle Paul taking it beyond that area and really setting the trajectory of the gospel, the good news, well beyond that to the ends of the earth. And this is important for us to get that the, the, the church and God's mission for the church is always expansive. It's always moving out. And he can use pain and pressure to do that. As, as I've thought about just even the, the state of the church today, what we've experienced in the last two years, I see some parallels. I see how God can and still uses pain and pressure to push the church outside of its confinements. And I know that there's a lot of pain and questions and still stuff that we're working out, but some, for some reason, God in his sovereignty said COVID. And none of us have liked it. It's been uncomfortable. It's been painful. It's created pressure in all sorts of arenas in the church and outside of the church. But as a result of that, or as a result of COVID, as a result of the pandemic, the church has been forced to expand the church has been forced to expand outside of its current confinements. You're saying, well, how? How has it been forced to move outside of its current confinements? Well, first of all, when the pandemic hit, churches all across the country had to go online. And there's a lot of churches that did, had no online presence whatsoever, including this church. 
but they were forced to go online and to reach people in a different way, to move outside of the confinement that we had been in, to move beyond that. Beyond that, there's also churches that had, um, had, to, be, had to shift their way of doing church because no longer could the church for a season, right, gather in larger groups and there was pressure and there's challenges with that. So all of a sudden churches had to begin to say, how can we have a better home group system? How can we have small groups, life groups, community groups? Because if we can't come together as a large group or if there's pressure there, do we have other ways for us to be the church in different regions? And it forced the church to expand. Now, South Hills Church already had life groups in place, which is a blessing because the church had already been out and spread out. And it, God can use that and did continue to use that. But I do know when the pandemic hit, South Hills Church was not online. And so very quickly, the church had to say, how can we shift and pivot in the midst of this painful pressure moment to say, we've got to do things differently and expand. And now, as a result of that, people are watching online today who, for various reasons, can't come to church, make it to church, and different challenges or whatever it might be, but they're still able to worship with South Hills Church. Isn't that a great thing? And for those of you who come in person, I know I've had many conversations with you and others who have been a part of coming and continue to be a part of in-person worship that you're still saying, we don't want online to go away. That you've recognized, even though you come in person, that you don't want the online presence to go away because you recognize the accessibility of that and how it has been helpful even for you when you're not able to come to church, you can still be a part of it. You can still come back. You can still check in. And you've also recognized that because of that, we've been able to expand our reach and people are able to worship that have not been able to worship before. Now, there's still a lot to be worked out and there's still a lot of challenges there, but I just still, when I step back and I say, God, you can still use pressure in the church. You can still use pain in the church to move people out, to cause people, the church to scatter so that more people can gather. And that's what we saw here. That's what we still feel today. None of us like it, but still God's, God's mission is expansive. And if we don't move out, he'll push us out. And that's what he does. And in fact, this, this passage in Isaiah is, is really, um, I think, helpful. Because in Isaiah, listen to, what, listen to what it says. It says this, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So this is, this is saying it's too small of a thing to just be focused on the nation of Israel. That you're to be a light to the Gentiles. That is to non-Jewish people. He's pushing them even back in Isaiah to say, listen, your vision is too small if you're thinking nationally. Your, think, your vision is too small if you're thinking of your little own personal grouping, your own personal kingdom. In fact, the kingdom is expansive. It's too small. God's vision is always bigger. You come to God with a vision for what, God, you, know, what you want to see God do with the good news. Guess what? God's vision is always bigger. God's vision is always more expansive. And he wants to do that, and he wants to, and he wants to expand. The, the problem with the disciples is they were thinking, they were thinking nationally. They were thinking, okay, you know, God, is this the moment that you're going to restore Israel? And, and, and Jesus says, yep, I'm going, to, I'm going to start there, 
We're going to start in Jerusalem, but guess what? The mission is going to expand beyond Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's important for us to recognize that's, that's what's important for us to see in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Now, let's go to the next verse. Um, the next verse is this. It says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. So after he said this, at the conclusion of this conversation, um, he's taken up from their very eyes. And he's, he goes up, and a cloud hides them from their sight. And I just, I can't imagine this moment and how shocking this probably would have been for the disciples. Have you had that moment where you've had a helium balloon, right? And all of a sudden, it just gets away from you, and you're like, oh. and you just watch it go up, and you're just watching it, and, and you're just like, ah. Oh. But at least you know what's going to happen in that moment. Okay, this is going to keep on going, and you just, you know, you just tend to stop and watch. But in this moment, Jesus starts going up, and they did not, they were not expecting that. They did not know, they, they were just in shock and in awe. And it's in this moment that God, in his kindness, sends um, some angels to give them a gentle rebuke, but also to promise, give them a, a, a picture of hope. In verse 10, it says this, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up in, looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there's, there's this God in his kindness as the disciples are going, oh man, Jesus is going up. This is shocking. This is surprising. And there's also probably grief and sadness. He's leaving them. Um, God in his kindness sends some angels to come alongside them and, and with a gentle rebuke, says, hey, why are you still looking up? Because he's coming back. That's the promise. That's the hope. You know, the same Jesus that's gone up, he's coming back. You'll see him again. And this is good news and hope for them. But there's also the little bit of a push from the angels as well. It's like, why are you looking up? Because it's time to stop looking up and it's time to start going out. And I think that's important for us to get as well. There's moments when we have to just stop looking up and it's time to start going out. And that's what we see happen in the next part of Acts. If you read on, you know that they do go out, that they trust, they trust in, um, in Jesus, his words, and God begins to expand the church because of their decision to follow him even into the unknown in, in, a, in a powerful way. Now, what I want to do right now is just go back and let's just say, what can we learn from this? What are some things that we, that, from this passage that helps us understand the mission of God for the church? And so let me just point out a couple of things. If you're a note taker, this is your moment to take some notes. If not, just listen in so we can understand the mission a little bit better. The first thing is this, that we won't influence the mission of the church. It's important for us to understand that we won't influence the mission of the church. And the reason why we won't influence the church is because the agenda has already been set by God. Jesus has already set it. So we're not going to come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, could this be the kingdom plan? Could this be the kingdom plan? Is this what you want to do? Can you do this for the, with the church? Instead, we have to stop and say, God, what's the agenda that you have set? We don't influence it. We say, God, how can we submit to it? That's, that's, the, that's important. And it's important for the disciples here, and it's important for us to hear as well. Because uh, when it comes to the mission of the church, it's very easy for us to, to think to ourselves, this is how we want God to establish um, our kingdom. This is how we want God to, do, um, to build things the way that we see things should be built. 
And they may not necessarily be bad things, by the way, because that's the disciples weren't coming to Jesus with bad ideas. It just wasn't God's idea. God had a bigger vision. God had a greater agenda. And so we just have to submit to that. And it's important to recognize that the church, the mission of the church is not to right every wrong in the world. The mission of the church is not to provide humanitarian um, uh, relief and services to the world all over or to, um, uh, even though these things are important and good, and God may call us to provide humanitarian support, and God may call us to seek justice in a world of injustice, but that's not the mission of the church. That's maybe part of what he calls us to do and be, but it's important that we stop and say, God, what is the mission that you've called us to be about? The mission of the church is not to um, preserve our political party or to preserve the culture or to, to have all of the social causes um, that we, we feel passionate about to be, um, to be pursued. And in, in, in the mission of the church is not to make our lives on our way, our journey to heaven as comfortable as possible either. Then it's important to stop and say, well, God, what is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to be spirit-empowered witnesses of Jesus Christ to be spirit-empowered witnesses of Jesus Christ. Why is that important for us to remember? Because no one else will do it. No other institution, no other people group will be witnesses of Jesus Christ except for the church. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Now, we may, in many different ways, work out how we do that and what it looks like, but we have to come back to what he's called us to be about, to understand the mission, the mission to be a witness to who he is, um, what he's done and what he can accomplish in our lives as we put our faith in him. This is the mission of the church, and it's important for us to just recognize that. Once we get that, then there's the second principle that's important for us to understand. The second principle is this, that we won't succeed in the mission if we try to do it in our own power. We won't succeed in the mission if we try to do it in our own power. The disciples were thinking, okay, power that we need must be military and political. They were thinking, let's establish this military political kingdom in Israel. And Jesus says, no, I've got a power that's greater than that. I have a power that's even better than that. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every believer. This is the power that he offers. And this is important because I think it's possible for us to try to accomplish the mission of God in our own strength or in relying on other resources when Jesus is calling us back to just trust in him, to rely on him in the spirit of God in us. This is what he's calling us back to because we can have a false equation. And the false equation that we can find ourselves falling into is my strength plus God's strength equals spiritual success. And we're missing it. The apostle Paul says, you know what? It's actually when I'm weak that I'm strong. That it's God's power is made perfect in weakness. That we come to God and we recognize, God, we are weak and we need your power. And I don't know about you, but I find that comforting because it's not about me. I know how weak I am. I know how flawed I am. I know how powerless I am. So yes, I need to rely on the Spirit of God to work in me and through me. And each of us needs to come to that position as well. See, we won't be successful unless we recognize we cannot do it on our own, but God has given us the Spirit of God to work in and through us. Then, third principle is this. We won't capture the heart of God for the church if we focus in and not out. We won't capture the heart of God if we focus in and not out. Again, the disciples were thinking nationally. They were thinking in terms of their own people, but God's saying, no, I want you to look out. 
My heart is for all people, and I want you to be having that kind of vision. And this is important because there are churches all over the country who have just defaulted back to an inward view that's all about let's us four and no more. Let's hold the fort. Let's guard, 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 the, guard the gates. And as a result of that, there are churches all over America that are dying. But Jesus is saying, listen, you need to go out. You need to look out. And he's saying, start in Jerusalem. And for them, it was the people that was, they were living with and closest with. And the same, same is true for you and I, that we stop and say, God, who are the people that you've put in my life that are, I'm closest to? My roommate, my classmate, my, my family members, my coworkers that I'm, I'm in close proximity with, that I'm living life with. I'm to be a witness to them. I'm to testify to who Jesus is with my words, with my actions, with my attitudes. Then it's not just the d- Jerusalem that we're to go to Judea and Samaria, that it's expanding, that it does go out. And that is, for them, for the, for the disciples, those were people that were way outside of their view. They were people that they didn't even like, that they didn't want to associate with. And there's this moments when God's going to push you outside of your comfort zone to interact with people you don't like, who people are not like you. Maybe that's people in the community. That's maybe people who um, you may just maybe interacting with um, you know, with, within um, your workplace that you don't like or don't, not like you, but God is still calling you to be a witness in those places. And beyond that, to the ends of the earth. And I know that for some of you, that's terrifying, this idea of going, you know, way out of country or out of the, out of the place. And I get that that's terrifying. Um, and God may not call you there. But if we aren't, have an open heart to it, then we're still missing the heart of God. If we still don't have an openness to saying, God, um, if you call, I'll go then we're still missing his heart because his heart is for the nations. His heart is for the world. And interestingly, God is not just calling us to go out, but he's calling the nations here. And so here, even in the Tri-Cities, we have refugees that we've been able to connect with, people who are coming from other countries and care for. And because of uh, this church's openness and an open heart to the world, to the nations, we've had an opportunity to minister to those that God has brought here. And um, even just last night, I was talking to a leader in the church who, through the connection with our Sudanese congregation, we've been able to, um, through, through the giving and the generosity of this church, be able to send money to help care for a person who needs a surgery in Sudan right now, who needs an amputation surgery, um, uh, and, it's, and it's pressing and because of the heart of this church to care for the nations and be even open to the nations that God's brought here, we've been able to then be able to be a blessing and to be a light across the country. It's an amazing thing. But this is what God's calling us to do, not look in, but to continue to look out so we don't miss the heart of God. Then the fourth thing is this. Fourth one is this, that we won't make a difference unless we move forward in faith. We won't make a difference unless we move forward in faith. The disciples... We're, we're looking up, and they were watching Jesus go away. But the angel comes to them and says, stop looking up. It's time to start going out. And they made a decision to step forward in faith, to trust Jesus and to trust his words. And so what we have next is they, they do wait. And they wait, and as they wait, Pentecost happens, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And as they receive the Holy Spirit, the next thing you find is, G, is, is Peter standing out, being a witness to, for Christ, and 3,000 people place their faith in Jesus. Boom, the church happens. It just starts. It's because of, of faithful um, faith and a faithful witness and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
And you may be saying, well, that's amazing. And, and I, I, I want to be a part of that. So I, how do I be bold? Do I be like Peter? And do I, do I just be louder? And do I have to have more faith? And do I have, and, and let me just stop for a moment and just recognize this. I know that when we start talking about being a witness, we need boldness. Um, but I want to be careful. Boldness is not necessarily loudness. And boldness is not necessarily obnoxiousness. Boldness is simply, for all of us to hear, this is important, it's courage in the face of fear. Boldness is courage in the face of fear. A lot, anyone can be obnoxious. Anyone can be loud. But all of us are called to be bold, that is courageous in the face of fear, when it comes to being a witness for Christ. And that could be with your own family member. That could be with a friend at school. That could be with a coworker that we just are bold, that is courageous in the face of fear, that we may, we may face rejection, we may face um, uh, opposition. But listen, we've been also we promised the power of the Holy Spirit and God's promise to work and do, and we, as we step forward in faith, we'll be more successful than we think. And I just want you to hear that. As you step forward in faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will be more successful than you think. That you would be bold and courageous in the face of fear, knowing that God is with you and you're fulfilling the mission that he has called you to do and to be in the church. And we have good news to share, don't we? We have good news to share. That God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to take our place, to die so that we might find freedom, forgiveness, and healing, and eternal life. That's good news. And people need to hear that good news. May we be a church that says yes to Jesus, that we step forward in faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify to the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. God, we ask, again, humbly, by your grace, that you would give us the boldness that we need, a boldness that's just simple courage in the face of fear, that we might be able to be a witness to you, that we would testify to others by our actions, by our words, by our attitudes, that there is a God who's living and a Savior who (laughs) offers healing and hope. So God, will you help us as we step forward this week into the context that you're placing us in, with our family, with our friends, and even with people who are outside of our context, Lord, that you would give us your eyes to see them the way that you see them, that we might be willing to step forward and pray for and share and encourage them and point them to you, our Savior and our hope. God, we thank you for that. Because of, it, because of your grace and your love for us, we continue to worship you now in your name. Amen.